In just over three weeks, we will celebrate Thanksgiving. And typically at Thanksgiving, we go around and we tell people all the things we're thankful for. It's also a time where we often are giving as a way of expressing gratitude. Now, we've been taking a journey through the Gospel of Mark, learning to live the way of Jesus. And so I think it is fitting to take a moment in these next three weeks to take a break from studying the Gospel of Mark and take a moment to look at lessons in giving as we move up to Thanksgiving. Because part of the way of Jesus is how you and I relate to money, like to our finances. And we need to talk about that. One topic Jesus talked about nearly more than anything else is money. It comes up in parables. It comes up in his lessons. And we see it in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. And it is an unavoidable fact that money is a part of the way of Jesus. And so I want to talk specifically about money and giving. And I think uh, this, this isn't a bait and switch. This isn't, a, this isn't trying to sell you one thing while really getting you to do another. We're going to talk about money for the next three weeks. But we're going to see how it relates to the way of Jesus. Because unrelated to Jesus, this would just be some type of scam. I want to tie this directly to the journey we're walking with Jesus. So we're going to take three weeks with lessons in, G- lessons in giving as we work to learn to live that way that he taught us. Now, to do that, we're going to use as a guide 2 Corinthians, uh, one of the letters Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians. We're going to take a look at two chapters, and that will be our guide for the next three weeks. And what we're going to do this week, we're going to jump right into the middle of a conversation Paul is having having with this church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to pick up with verse 16. Verse 16. So we're jumping into the middle of a conversation. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, as we jump right into the middle of this conversation. Paul writes this, Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he has been chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. That's right, we're jumping right in the middle of this passage. If you seem, if you feel like this might be a bit confusing, like what has come before, what might come after, that's okay. I want you to pick up four words. There were four words in that passage that tip us off to the conversation Paul has already been having with this church. So four words, those words were appeal, offering, and then he talked about help and gift. Four words. All those words are related to a financial, a financial collection that Paul is wanting to take from this church and give it to someone else. And we're jumping into the middle of a conversation because Paul has already talked to this church about this collection. So those four words tip us off about the conversation Paul is having, and it's about money and giving. Those four words are about money and giving. So take a look 
at that first letter Paul wrote. The first letter he wrote, 1 Corinthians, right near the end, he makes reference to this collection, this fundraising project that's going on. Take a look. We'll look at 16, 1 through 3. This is what he's writing in that first letter. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So what we have here is we have a situation where there are Christians in Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, that have been suffering. Now, we don't know why they're suffering, but we know they're poor, and they need money. Like, I, we could spiritualize this thing. I mean, we could really wax eloquent about how spiritual all this is. That is, we could give, up, give some real wonderful religious reason. But in the end, they were poor. They were poor, and they needed money. And Paul had seen this, saw this need. And so as he went around on his missionary journeys, he's telling all the churches, as part of their giving, as part of the money they give on a Sunday morning or evening or afternoon, whenever they were meeting, and the first day of the week, set aside money that would go back to Jerusalem. So when Paul arrived at Corinth, they would have identified people that would take the money. Paul would say, ah, these men are good. He would write them a letter of introduction, give them the letter, and send them with the letter and the money, and it would go to Jerusalem. So the appeal is an appeal to help those in need. The offering is real money. The help is the provision to those that were poor in Jerusalem. And the gift was a generous amount of money with no strings attached. Those four words in the second letter are all tied to this collection. And so Paul is talking directly, explicitly about giving and money. Now, this is coming from the, an apostle. This is coming from someone that talks a lot about Jesus. And typically, when we think about Jesus, I think about, like, you know, things high in the sky, maybe a bit abstract. They're, like, kind of in an other world. And I typically don't think of material wealth or maybe resources or money as being part of the spiritual world. I kind of think of these things as disconnected a little bit. Like maybe the spiritual affects the material. But I really don't always combine these two. But for the Apostle Paul, the material world and the spiritual world, the, the giving of money and the acts of spiritual growth, these things are combined for Paul. These things go together for him. So I want you to see something. I want you to see what Paul does in Romans chapter 15. Take a look at what he does. Romans chapter 15, he, I think he makes this clear. Again, talking about this collection, this money to go to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. For I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, these are just two regions in the Roman Empire. Uh, by the way, uh, Corinth sits uh, in another region there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles, the Gentiles are these non-Jews, for the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So for Paul, as he makes this appeal even to the Roman church, these Christians in Rome, many of them non-Jewish, he makes the case that 
As the gospel has gone out, as Jesus, this spiritual reality has gone out and made an impact in people's spiritual lives, out of that grows a material result. And in this case, it's giving actual money. Literal, a, a literal financial fruit grows out of a spiritual connection. And this is a general principle we see throughout the story of the Bible. That the spiritual and the material, particularly as it relates to money, they're connected. So I want to say it this way. If I had to take what I just said and put it in a sentence, I would say it this way. When people change their life and turn to God, their relationship to the material world, especially money, also changes. Now, you and I could spend the next eight hours taking a tour through the Old and New Testament. Probably only a couple of you would want to do that. So I'm just going to pick an example from the Old Testament and an example from the New Testament, and I want you to see that play out. Where we see God calling back or, or connecting with a people, and because of the connection, because of the return back to him, or the connection to him, in one case it will be Jesus, the result, what grows out of it, or what they're called to do, has something to do with money. Money. And I mean like the kind of money you have in your wallet or that's on your debit card. That kind of money. Or the material possessions in your home. That kind of wealth or resources. Take a look. Malachi. I want to pull, a, pull an example from the prophet Malachi. The people of God haven't been doing so well. Take a look. Malachi 3, 6 through 10. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? You know what God says there? In tithes and offerings. That's financial. There's a financial dimension there. Take a look at what comes next. This is God speaking to Israel. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Ah, God says, you have run away from me. Now you come back to me, and when they come back, you know what they're supposed to do? The, the act of coming back is supposed to look like giving back financially. That's the thing God calls them to do. It's that general principle that when you get return or connect to God, it will affect your pocketbook. It just will. Let me pull an example from the New Testament. Many of you know because you sang a song growing up. It's a song about this little man named Zacchaeus. You know the story? Let's take a look. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and 9. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. This is a man of great wealth and power. And he was wealthy. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, who has gone to be the, who, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. These next verses, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So here Zacchaeus comes into contact with Jesus. Something changes in Zacchaeus and the fruit that emerges is that he gives financially. It changes his financial situation. He gives back four times what he has extorted from others. It directly affected his bank account. It's a general principle that when people come into contact with God or return, there is a material, a financial implication to all of that. So I'm not just up here wanting to talk about money so that you'll give more, trying to be a great salesman. This is directly, this is explicitly woven into the story of the Bible. And we see it over and over again. What strikes me is that in this letter to the Corinthian church, Paul doesn't say, doesn't make explicit this connection with the words I've been using. He doesn't say anything about the spiritual and the material are connected. He actually uses one word. One word to describe everything we've just said. He uses the word grace. I just want you, he uses the word grace. That's not the word I'd pick for this connection. Take a look at how he begins the section of this letter. Take a look. He's going to be bragging on another church, by the way. And now, brothers and sisters, this is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. We'll pick up in verse 7 to end the passage. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then verse 7, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Interesting. Paul uses grace as a way of describing that connection between the spiritual and the material, that these two things go together. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me say it. Let me go ahead and, and pull a really great explanation, better than I could have done in the next few minutes, from a scholar who writes about this very topic. Take a look of how he talks about what's going on as Paul, let me just, let's, let's pull this. Paul's framing his teaching about giving him money in the context of grace. Take a look at this quote now. What does it mean that God gave this grace? Remember, he said uh, that God gave grace to the Macedonian church, and out of that they gave. Take a look. What does it mean that God gave this grace to the churches in Macedonia? It didn't simply mean that they had what we would call a wonderful spiritual experience. It meant that under an impulse, which came from God himself, they gave money with almost reckless generosity. They found it in their hearts to give not only according to their means, but way beyond. This, Paul declares, can only be the work of grace. Ah. So, so if we had to boil that down to just something really short and concise, maybe we'd say it this way. Take a look at this. We are saved by grace. Yes, we are. No contest here. And we become financially generous by grace too. 
Grace is like a shot of energy, what this scholar calls an impulse, that God's grace gets in and it's like an energy drink and out of it emerges reckless generosity. So much so that this Macedonian church is giving well beyond what they should ever have given. They're giving out of their poverty. And what Paul's doing is he is using them as an example of what they should be doing too. Now, if you're okay with this, I want to take a journey back to the 1980s. And I want to try to explain to you what this might feel like to be energized to give recklessly. I want to pull a song. Let's just put up the cover. Let's not start the song. I don't know if you remember Mr. Mister from the 1980s. In 1985, they dropped a song called Kyrie. Well, I've been running, been running a lot lately. Literally running. That's not a metaphor. Like literally putting on shoes and running on the road. And I'll tell you, you get up to that mile seven, eight, nine, the body starts telling you to stop. Now, some of you might be saying, no, that's like, like, like half mile. My body's saying stop. Uh, and that was me too. I've just, I've just been gradually training to longer distances. Recently, I was running, and I was, my body was saying stop. And I have this playlist. I don't know if any of you watch the Goldbergs. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're judging me right now because I do. It's fine. I take your judgment. And they have a playlist on Spotify called the Goldbergs. And so I just play that list as I'm running. I just put my phone on me and it just plays. So if you're running near me, you're listening to my, my playlist too because I just have it like blaring. And recently, as I was running, listening to the Goldberg soundtrack, Mr. Mister gave me a shot of energy. This is what it sounded like. Can we cue that? You feeling this? Can you imagine being tired? You're ready to stop? And you're hearing this? Oh my gosh, and here it comes. Oh, I'm going like the next ninth mile. Are you ready to run like 10 miles? Are you feeling this? You are feeling this. Okay, maybe I'm just the only one. Oh, I feel like I need to work a 1980 song into every sermon. Oh, I'm a, no kidding, I got energy right now. Oh, did you feel that? Okay, maybe you didn't. I did. I'm like, let's go another couple hours kind of thing, okay? <laughs> Some people are shaking their heads. You want to go three. I know, but I can't do that. <laughs> that is what grace does. It's like Kyrie. It's like Mr. Mr. shooting a song through my knees and my thighs on mile nine. That's what grace does. Grace does, doesn't just get you to heaven. Ah, it energizes your generosity. Ah, and we typically don't think of grace like that. But that's exactly what Paul is doing here. That's how he's using the word. It's like fuel for the spiritual life. And part of your spiritual life is what you do with your money. So let's make some application. Make some application. just want to kind of begin to draw out some things here. So let's go to that application slide. I'm going to say this to start us off. God's amazing grace doesn't just get us to heaven. It gets us to generosity too. So for fun, for fun, I want to go ahead and, and take this application into a song. Maybe you know the song. Can we put the lyrics up? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. It's all about salvation, going from darkness to light. Now, I think if Paul was penning that, that song in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, maybe, just maybe, it might sound like this. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm just reading it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that changed a Scrooge like me. I once was selfish, but now I'm generous. Twas stingy, but now I give. Ah, I think that's what's going on with God's grace. It does so much more in the life of a follower of Jesus. So here's some questions I'm just thinking through here. So just, we're just going to do a couple of these. How far has God's grace reached into our bank accounts? Now, I know we could frame that as how much are you giving. But if I want to put this in, a, in biblical language, in the language of Paul, we need to talk about how far is grace getting into our bank accounts. Now, I get it. God's grace is getting you to heaven, and we like to talk about being saved. But Paul wanted to talk a lot, about a lot more than God's grace getting you saved. He wanted to talk about God's grace getting into your PNC bank account or your state employee's account. That's what he's wanting to talk about. Now, let, me, let me ask it this way. I, I tried, to, tried to think of something that would reach down into my everyday life. Let's take a look at this slide. Are we quicker to give money to Chick-fil-A for a chicken sandwich than we are to give money back to God and those in need? Hmm. Now, I don't have, a, I don't have an answer to that question that I want to share with you. Uh, but think through this. And you can insert anything into Chick-fil-A here. But are we quicker to give our money to something that satisfies us, something that makes us feel good? Are we quicker to buy the big screen TV? I, I'm not, I don't have any problem with all of that. There's nothing wrong with a Chick-fil-A sandwich. But we need to put it in the context of how much we are giving overall. Are we a generous people? So we want to think about God's grace reaching your wallet, covering your debit card, standing in line at the bank as you fill out the slip. That's where we want to see God's grace. Now, let's, let's take this all to a next step. So I just kind of want to bring this to the ground on something you can do this week as we, as we kind of set up these next two weeks as we have these lessons in giving. Examine your spending and open spaces for generosity. Examine your spending and open spaces for generosity. There might be several, several places in your spending that you could transfer or change so that you could be more generous. That is, a, that is something that is very real. Now, I'm not talking about finding somewhere in your budget, a place in your budget, where you, you are like wasting hundreds of dollars and you could give it, to some, give it somewhere else. I'm talking about somewhere in your budget right now or in your spending where you might be spending $10 a week or $10 a month that you can move that over to be generous to someone in need or give back to God even here at your church family. I'm just, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this massive step. We remember we are always starting where we are, not where we think we should be. So if you're not giving anything, well, then you start by giving something. You don't act like you go from zero to 60 in a day. 
So don't try to find those hundreds and hundreds of dollars that don't exist and then feel guilty when you don't find them and then you failed as a Christian and now life is miserable and God must hate you. Don't go there. Find that extra $5 in your spending that you could give up to be generous. That's what, yeah, that's, we start from where we are, from where we think we should be. And so you take this next step right where you need it to be, okay? So it's your spending, it's, it's your giving, it's, it's your generosity, and you then watch God's grace continue to grow. Because here's the thing. When you start moving in generosity, and I mean giving money, when you start moving in that direction and those gates start opening up, other things in your life begin to open up too. That's just the way this works because God's grace is behind all of it. So when you're less angry, it's probably tied to your generosity. These things all work together, all work together in the spiritual life. So the challenge this week is to examine your spending and then open up spaces for generosity and watch God do something with that. Watch God do something with that. Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to journey through some of the details of what that all begins to look like on the ground as we give. Let me pray for us as we start that journey. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word that it has been preserved for all these years so that we could have it this morning. We thank you that, that Paul was bold enough to talk about giving and money and tying it to your grace. And thank you that he called these early Christians to give, to give money to help others, giving it even in the church family. And so we pray that we will, I'm just asking that we would follow that example. You would stir in us new commitments to giving, opening spaces for generosity. And you would be gentle with us as you do that. So as your grace gets us from darkness to light, take us from stinginess to generosity, or from where we are with generosity, to well beyond what we thought we could, where we could go. So just help us, just help us, be gentle with us. And we thank you. We thank you that your son is king. We thank you that he's Lord. We thank you he's our teacher. And we really thank you too that he's our friend, walking with us, opening up spaces by grace to be generous people with money. We pray it all under his authority, and together we say, amen.